Welcome to Managing Marketing and uh, look from today we're actually going to be coming to you every week so rather than fortnightly you'll be able to listen to a new conversation around managing marketing on a weekly basis so make sure you uh, check out our new weekly podcast but today to celebrate uh, I guess the weekly podcast I have a chance to sit down with Julian Barons, who's one of the uh, business managers, and he's in Sydney, down from Singapore. So uh, let's have a chat. Welcome, Julian. Nice, nice to be here, Darren. Oh, it's good to have you here. Um, it's uh, it's been what uh, three years since we, you've joined Trinity P3. That's, that's right. And uh, but before that, you've had some uh, phenomenal, uh, you know, senior marketing roles all over the world, haven't you? Absolutely, yes. I had a, a long client-side career with, uh, with Mars. So I was marketing director uh, in Asia, marketing director for Australia and New Zealand, and um, then global innovation director based out of the US for, for pet care. And um, yeah, Mars is considered one of the top you know, consumer packaged goods marketing companies, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's relatively unique as well because it's still a private company rather than being publicly listed. That must have been a, a terrific uh, experience. It, it was, and because they very much uh, believe in the brands, you know, they, the old uh, saying that uh, factories come and go, but brands live, live on forever, was very much um, a, a belief of the, the Mars family. Uh, and so the, the metrics for success with the business were very much around the tension between marketing and manufacturing. As marketers want to do more things in the market, you know, the, the, uh, the consumer is king, um, the, the factory would be the, the common sense break, if you like, in terms of, well, you know, how does it cost to actually make that, that, that kibble in that shape? And in yeah, that so color. what you want to do and what you can do yeah. and what makes sense to do are the three sort of considerations. Yes, and so that tension actually helped um, sort of common sense in some ways um, uh, rule the day. But it didn't stop um, innovation. So I think mm. that's why uh, Mars has been very successful with these long-standing brands that uh, exist around the world. They've got so many brands that are you know, way over a billion dollars in value when you mm. consider their not just their pet care portfolio, but their snack food um, brands as well, you know, the likes of M&Ms and Snickers and, and so on. I think uh, it must be also fairly unique having such a big brand-driven business that is not having to every quarter go cap in hand to the shareholders to be answerable for short-term growth. So I'm, you know, I, I am very aware that the, you know, Mars as a business is very focused on performance, but it's not just short-term. You know, they're able to take a medium and long-term view of all their brands, and I think they do, don't they? They do generally. Uh, I think it's when there's been, say, an acquisition, and then that's a, a drain on cash. So they don't like they don't like borrowing much. So they, they don't they do very little borrowing. So they have um, you know, AAA ratings with with banks because they're they're so liquid. Uh, so you know another part of the business is uh, if you make profits, then you have freedom as a business to go and do things that you would like to try, mm -hmm. um, and and also you're rewarded uh, financially um, in terms of based on rotor return on total assets. Uh, if you had a high rotor, 
that means you're making good money, you have freedom, and also it means that all of the associates in the business get paid more too. Mm. So it's a very instant um, reward system that, mm. that, that takes place. So you know, with that, you get um, very, very thorough business processes put in place. Sales are you know, measured daily. Um, and when it comes to the yearly uh, business plan, uh, that's um, a rigorous process that starts around August time. And it would only really be being finalized, say, around now, and then waiting for the year end to happen, which would set the true base of what the sales for the year were, and then the kind of growth you're looking for for next year. I was going to say to you, it must have been a, a terrific place to learn the disciplines. You know, because some people think of marketing as a bit, you know, uh, uh, gut instinct and, you know, a bit... Uh, not unaccountable, but certainly it's about the big ideas and going forward. But in actual fact, in a corporation like Mars, that discipline, the timing, the process would have been something that you had to learn intimately so that you could use that as a platform to leap from as a marketer. As a marketer and then as marketing as part of the, the business overall, the very interesting aspect of the responsibility that a marketer at Mars had was that um, you're responsible for brand profitability. Right. So you were very much tied into the P&L. You add up all the brands, well, that's the profit for the business overall. So you could never forget that you were linked to margin. So you, know, you really had to start thinking about um, you know, the balance of, of sales that are um, brand-led versus uh, the, the percentage of sales that are, say, trade promotion-led. So if you had a powerful brand, you would, you would say be 70 plus percent of your sales would be high margin branded sales. Because retailers would constantly be putting pressure on the sales team to allow them to you know, offer a discount or something that helps them differentiate their retail outlet. But that could easily be at the expense of the brand if it's, um, if it's over leveraged. Absolutely. And so the only way you can... Uh, protect against that was you need to have regular dialogue with with the trade mm. so we would uh, as we had a, a new brand or a new brand initiative going on we would have you know a road show with the trade and you probably do that every if it wasn't every year certainly every two years you, there would be a good enough reason to pull the trade in and share stories and uh, amuse them by you know having the brand team eating pet food that was mm. always you'd always get a good laugh during doing that I used to feel quite envious of the uh, the snack food division. Yes, much better eating chocolate bars exactly. and things rather than uh, having to eat the dog food or yep. the cat food. Exactly. So as the, as the senior member, I used to make sure that uh, I had um, I had Sheba. Yes, the high, the top end. Basically, you know, tin tuna. So <laughs> I wasn't. I felt sorry for the person who would be eating um, chum yeah. or, or kitty cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very interesting. Um, look. That, for me, that raises some issues uh, that I wouldn't mind you uh, uh, clarifying for me. And that is, we hear a lot today from marketers that go, you know, yeah, we've got a strategy, but we just seem to be doing tactics all the time. So, you know, I can't imagine that Mars was a company that didn't have a strategy, clearly you've said, but how... Take us through that process of as a as a marketer in charge of brands, and you said with P and L responsibility, you know, brand profitability. What what is the planning process? Where does it start for you as, as a as as a marketer? 
we are tracking, we'll be tracking brand profitability um, every quarter. So you can see you know, what's, what's working well in terms of activities you've previously explained in the marketplace. So sales daily, but brand profitability quarterly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And you could, you could analyze it more than that, but it's, it, you'll be causing too much of a distraction if you started looking at it every month. And also the danger is the, ups, the natural ups and downs that you get on a daily basis doesn't give you an overall trend either. No, no. So it's, it's about um, being sensible with, with data and using data that are going to give you realistic trends that you can, that you can work with. Um, you'll certainly be able to see quarterly uh, what happens around, say, a new brand initiative or maybe a brand launch. You'll be able to track that to see how that went according to uh, the, the initial uh, sales plan that was developed. Is, it, is, it, is distribution growing as quickly as you thought? Is sales growing as quickly as you thought? Um, so that was, that was a good discipline. But when it comes to uh, how you set up the year, uh, the yearly plan, and, and there were two really, there was the, uh, the yearly plan and then there was the, a midterm plan, which was five years. Right. So you, you would take a perspective and you'd be looking against your very established brand strategies that are often global. When you're dealing with brands like uh, Pedigree and Whiskers, for example, there is a, be a, a global strategic committee that would be steering that brand, uh, ensuring that the uh, science around nutrition uh, the the outcomes from that work would be you know, trickled down through the brands mm. uh, in an affordable way so you didn't disrupt the uh, the cost structure of the brand too much but it gave you um, on strategy initiatives that you could uh, you could add in at the appropriate yep. times so you'd have those sort of longer term five-year plans in place and then yearly you would be really getting down to nitty-gritty and I mean nitty-gritty because it's not just looking at a, a top-down shape. You know, you, 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 we used to sit as a management team and we would discuss you know, what we thought was happening in the marketplace and what was going to be reasonable growth based on some of the big initiatives we had. Uh, and so you would have kind of a shape and you would have, you'll be wanting to hold what um, your AMP percentage was you know, versus the R&D percentage mm-hmm. of revenue, etc because you wanted to have an overall um, margin that meant you had a profitable business so that you could have freedom and you could pay the associates well. So you had that shape, but then you needed to build the activities from the ground up and based on when they were going into the market, uh, what kind of activities they were, and you would have to build those and then see how that fitted with the uh, overall yearly plan. And I imagine the consideration is not just building the brand value, but also supporting the sales. So you had to look at that sort of medium to long as well as the short term. Yeah. So with sales, there'd be a trade expenditure budget, uh, which again would be in line with the shape. And then as you sort of go through the year, it would be uh, managing that because you don't want to end up in a situation where you're late with your activities uh, or with the initiatives of the activities. So everyone has to work together to make this all happen. Uh, because if you're late with your activities, then you might be relying on trade expenditure only. Mm. And with trade expenditure, you know, end gondola displays, price discounting, you could fall into the trap of having lots of discounted sales. Whereas my guide was always, uh, if you've got a strong brand, you want to be 70 plus percent having branded sales, mm-hmm. not trade promotion driven sales. 
Well, of course, we've seen that in recent times where this constant on-sale discounting price has set a new value for various brands, especially in the grocery area, because consumers have become very savvy as to what the sort of price is that they'll pay for something. And if it's always on special in quotes, then that becomes the new price. It's very hard, isn't it, as a marketer to get back to having a, um, a premium uh, pricing or perception. Yeah, and uh, linked to that, you can also train the, tr- the trade to always wait for the discounted offer to come. Yes. <laughs> and, and that is also a very dangerous situation to be in because they'll just quite happily sit on that stock for a bit longer and look to use the, um, uh, the, the strengths of, of the Mars brands as a, um, as, a, as a foot traffic builder into store. Now, this is a consumer packaged goods. It's uh, sold through retail third party. Um, you and I have both been doing work in the last couple of years not with consumer packaged goods, but with services companies, you know, telcos, financial services, insurance companies. They don't seem to have the same discipline from a marketing and business perspective that consumer packaged goods have. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's interesting that uh, I suppose that the pressures on their business from a daily perspective in terms of retention of, um, of, of customers and then the drive to acquire new customers uh, has kind of driven those types of businesses into one where uh, it's, it's, they'll get a customer at any price and they always seem to be discounting. And so then you end up with a situation where the whole market is devalued. As far as the consumer is concerned, uh, they'll see very little difference between um, a brand and that's so you're commoditizing the market. So because there's very little investment in the actual differentiation of the brand. Yes, right? because you've got a situation where, and you know, in the old days, for say, say take telcos, in the old days it used to be uh, coverage and call dropout mm-hmm. was the was the big marker of the quality of, of the brand. Well, now through new technology, they're pretty much it's pretty much a level playing field, and so there's little to differentiate them. So they all start uh, clamoring around. Uh, discounts, you know, offering extra data, and so it's it's a discounting model. So if you look at it, it's actually therefore devalued. So now some brands are turning around, going, actually, how do we get the consumer to be loyal to our brand again? So they're, they're now starting to look at things like service quality, which, as we all know, has been a bit of a problem with a lot of telcos for for a long time. So they're trying to dig themselves out of this hole that they've. Uh, created where they have devalued uh, the brands and created a commodity market. But bringing the discipline that you learnt at uh, Mars, how, how do you see that working if, say, you, tomorrow you became the CMO of a telco or a financial services company? How can you bring that sort of consumer packaged goods marketing business discipline approach to a uh, direct to consumer because there's often no retailer. There may be um, uh, channels that mm. they sell through, but largely though most of them are direct. And where it's all focused on acquisition. So where rather than looking at quarterly or um, uh, brand value, you are looking at daily sales and daily acquisition numbers and churn rates and things like that. 
I think that the danger is if you let that dominate too much of your thinking. Yes, you need to have your uh, finger on the pulse, as it were. But the challenge there is that it can stop you doing the new things in terms of what's going to help differentiate you going forward. So if you think about um, a digitization of, of telcos mm-hmm. versus uh, the legacy aspects of the business, which is where the majority of the money comes from and the profit comes from. So yes, you need to have a handle on what's happening with uh, prepaid, postpaid, etc., especially uh, from looking at Asian markets and emerging markets. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to think about the consumer is moving very, very quickly in terms of what they want. You know, the advent of technology around 3G, then 4G, 5G not far away, then the service opportunity that you have and bundling different uh, products and services as well, that can allow you to build value in your brand again. Now, if you focus on the legacy side of the business and the, the, the daily acquisition rate and so on, then that's going to stop you moving out in that direction. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be strategic at some points. So the only way I believe you can be strategic is by building that into a plan where you recognize that, no, you're not going to make money out of those digital services initially. But what it's going to do, it's going to add more salience to your brand and it's worth its value in doing that while you're building your capability and your infrastructure. And you have to therefore uh, take some of the profitability away from how you're measuring the legacy part of the business. You have to invest in your future. Well, I also think that uh, the other challenge for a CMO in those categories you know, is the fact that brand isn't just built through comms, is it? It's built through experience. You know, it's a services product. In all, that's almost a, um, an oxymoron. You know, it, it services product, but it is the fact that um, the brand is built through everything that the customer experiences there. You know, with packaged goods, the retail experience is largely at the behest of the retailer, and then the product experience comes down to actually the use of the product, and that's the reinforcing. So there is a big opportunity for comms to actually set a mindset about that brand and, and create preference. But uh, how many times have we seen, especially services companies, with marketing teams that have gone off and done the big corporate branding communication piece that just never delivered at any point in the customer experience beyond a piece of comms? Agree, agree totally. Uh, I'm a great believer in, in customer journey and understanding uh, at, at what points your brand interacts with customers in not just in how they discover your brand and how they might decide to purchase it, but how they engage with your brand uh, throughout life. And, and that, that works for whether you're dealing with a, a you know, fast-moving packaged good or whether you're dealing with a, a very occasional purchase like, say, an automobile. Mm. So you really need to understand the customer journey and, and how that's changing. Because with the advent of uh, new technologies, things are changing so fast in terms of how people... Uh, consume media, consume information, and therefore also, which is quite interesting, is what they expect from a brand in terms of how the brand should communicate with them. Mm. So, you know, going back to the old days, there used to be, if you take packaged goods, it was something they saw on a shelf in a, in a supermarket or in a store, uh, and maybe there was a website. Mm. Now you have, you know, key opinion, you know, KOLs, key opinion leaders, you have 
social media, you have communication coming through your smartphone, you, you have um, the likes of a, you know, a TripAdvisor or all these different platforms. Right. And also, um, you know, audio search, you know, yes. the, the, these, uh, these smart uh, bots that you ask for things and they, um, they bring it to you. Yeah, you know? yeah. Or they recommend it to you. So these things are, are changing the, uh, the way consumers engage with brands a lot. So you need to be on top of all of that and be sort of predicting how that's going to shift. And if you, say, look to the customer journey, say, taking automobiles again, if you look at the customer journey today versus 10 years ago, the, the role of the distributor uh, is, quite, is quite different. Mm-hmm. Now, you, it used to be very much around selling. You'd go there, pick up a brochure, um, you know, look at a car, go away with your brochure, think about which one you wanted, and organise your test drives and so on. Now, uh, through what's available through technology, you've done all sorts of research online. You've seen all the videos from the likes of Top Gear and other people comparing this model with that model. You've pulled models into your search that you never thought about before. You've thrown others out, and you haven't even gone to a distributor yet. Yeah. You've not even sat in the car yet. Yet all these decisions have been taken. And unless you're playing the game in the right way, you miss out. Your brand might have been there. Mm. Well, yeah, they're saying that uh, automobile purchase, it's more than 90%, less than 100%, have done extensive online research. And by the time they get to the distributor, to the, the sales floor, um, they've already know exactly what they want and what they're looking for is how do they negotiate the best possible price. Yeah, yeah. So the salesmanship now is how to maintain the margin and still get the sale. And the role of the salesperson is now more to introduce the service manager who's the person that's going to have the long-term relationship mm. with the with the customer, not, not the sales guy anymore. No, that's true. So you, you've got changes like that that are happening which changes the, the dynamics um, in the marketplace, but it also makes it very exciting. But going back to your first point or your earlier point, it's still important to have the overall strategy so that you can overlay a plan that understands that customer journey and influences the customer along the path. Exactly right. and so. The strategy for the brand usually stays pretty much fixed, but then it's the, the dynamics around it that you need to tweak and adjust um, so you can ensure you're going to get the, uh, you know, the brand profitability target you want. So it's all about really thoroughly planning what kind of strategic activities you're going to put in place to support that strategy, not a bunch of tactics. Mm. And that's the, the danger is you, you fall foul of doing lots of tactics because that's say what sales are asking for because they're looking to um, you know, leverage a re- retail experience or whatever. Uh, so you need to have strategic activities in place that will take account of the customer journey, take account of everything you know is happening between the relationship between your brand and the consumer and keeping a, a little crafty look over your shoulder to see what the competition are doing. But don't let the competition drive your activities. It should be your brand and the relationship with the consumer that that drives your activities and how you see uh, the market developing, the category developing, and to make sure that you retain your 
your number one slot because mm. you don't want to be anywhere else in a category <laughs> that, other than number one. Anywhere else, you start to get into trouble. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll, I want to give you two scenarios and get your advice on, on what you'd say to the marketers in each case. So we've recently had a um, working with a marketing team that uh, new marketer and they've inherited a culture of research strategy, research strategy, like they've always been in strategy mode with very minimal actual marketing implementation. And so the new marketers come in, has looked at the strategy. It's, as they've said, it's a perfectly fine strategy. It just needs implementation. How would you go from a culture of almost death by strategy into actually implementing a marketing plan? Well, if you have a team that um, are just spinning around strategy and trying to perfect something around the 95, 95th percentile, um, then you've, you've got a problem. Because mm-hmm. a strategy that just lives on paper, uh, the consumer never gets to see it. So it doesn't exist at all. So that, that's not an outcome that you want. You need to have the situation where you have developed these strategic activities that, that enable the consumer to respond to the strategy you've developed. So you have to have a balanced team where you've got people who are good at developing strategy, but you can't have people who are um, constipated, for want of a better word. You'd also want to make sure that as you move from this long period of strategy into implementation, you've got all your metrics in place and the right metrics to actually be able to see how that strategy is performing as you implement it, wouldn't you? Yeah, and it's from, from the example you gave, uh, it looks like uh, they had researched the strategy to death. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, 90% is good enough. And it's good, and it, it's only real once you actually get the activities in place and you see how well it resonates with the consumer and how well it drives the brand in the marketplace. So if, you, if you're forever researching, you're just, you're just actually dancing in a pinhead in an unreal situation because research is usually around it's not it's not necessarily a real world mm. so you you do well it's to, an approximation isn't it it's exactly. always going to be an approximation of the real world it's almost like to move into the real world and implement is to actually carry out the experiment move from the hypothesis to the actual experiment in the laboratory yes yeah so you, you have to have marketers who have got enough courage to actually move forward you know the courage of your convictions as they as they used to say that's that's pretty critical so you mm. need to have the right type of, of marketer now the other one is almost the polar opposite and it's exacerbated by the fact that the marketing budget actually resides with the business and not the marketers so in some ways they've been decapitated in that way but uh, they have a strategy but the business is constantly driving and wanting short-term results. So they do feel like they're constantly doing tactics. Is it possible to build your brand through tactics? No, no. You need to have obviously a clear brand strategy, strategic activities, and you use those strategic activities to drive what would be seen as tactics. Mm. So you, if you do it from a strategic perspective, then you can still have tactics in the market, but they're not ad hoc. They have to be strategic tactics. 
So you could use your strategy to actually critique the tactics that you're being asked to do. Yes. You know, does it fit with this strategy? Yes, it does. Then we'll execute it. No, it doesn't. How can we change the tactic that you've asked for to actually fit and build our longer term um, brand strategy? Exactly. So if you've got a situation where uh, there's a lot of trade expenditure that's looking to drive tactics, you take a step back and you say, well, okay, we understand that you know we need to drive sales, but you would turn it into a, a strategic sales promotion and not just have it as a price discount mm. activity in the market. So that's something that's quite different. And you can use that quite, quite powerfully. Um, you know, I've seen situations where, uh, from a packaged good perspective, you know, the, the brand may be changing its, the color of its packaging, for example. Yeah. And um, if you don't do something positive around that, uh, there may be no consumer benefit to a change of color. It rarely is a consumer benefit or real brand benefit. But you can make it a bit of fun and you can make it a, um, a reward for your loyal customers by doing something uh, promotionally around that. That's something novel. It's novel, it's fun, mm. and the consumer gets um, some reward for buying more uh, product, for example, mm. so you, you know, your pantry fill. And um, that way you can fulfill the requirements of a tactic, but you've done something that. Uh, smooths the potential negative impact of a, a, a brand change, if you like, uh, and you can be successful and actually drive sales through that. So imagine in uh, in that situation having sales and marketing because they're often, you know, sometimes you see someone that one person has both sales and marketing responsibility, but if you have a separate sales head and a separate marketing head or lead, then them working together is actually an incredibly positive thing, isn't it? Yes, it's actually important to have a, a, a good relationship between sales and marketing. You don't want to have two people who are at, at um, loggerheads mm. because if they're not communicating, you, that level of disjointed um, activity in the marketplace is not going to be good for the brand or for the business. Um, in fact, I remember talking to a, uh, a CMO who had, well, head of marketing, uh, who had previously had both sales and marketing, went into a new job where they were only a marketer and uh, sales was separate, managed separately. And when he walked in, he said, where's the head of sales? And they pointed across the floor to almost the other side of the room. And he said, I want my office right next to his. And uh, in fact, sat down and, and the head of sales was a bit worried, you know, never had a marketer so sort of aggressively wanting to work together. Uh, sat down and said, who's our 20 biggest retailers accounts and when can you set up a meeting so that we can sit down together and talk about how we can align our marketing and business objectives to theirs and actually amplify the effectiveness of our budget. I mean, that's quite an enlightened approach, isn't it? It is. It is. And um, one of the great things about um, the way Mars management works is that uh, usually they sit in a, sit in a circle. Right. And so on my left side, there was the sales director. On my right side was the R&D director. And so our conversations, and then it was commercials, you went around. So the, the, um, the conversations we'd have, everyone was very much attuned with what we're trying to do in the business and then what we're trying to do with the brands. And so there was mutual respect for the roles each of you played in delivering 
the business yeah, plan. Yeah, because you, you all have a lever in a way. Absolutely. And if one person pulls too hard, then the others are going to be uh, offside, aren't they? Yes, they are. They are. And it's, um, you know, you've got to be careful, you know, situations where uh, someone's trying to drive too much profit, then that can have a negative impact on the brand, you know, through R&D, where there's pressure on recipes, for example. Mm. And, um, you know, that's where, you know, you can buy death by a thousand cuts. You can actually impact the uh, uh, the palatability, and then you know, animals. just purely by putting the stress on the on the recipe to pull on, on the uh, production line. Yeah, yeah, to be able to deliver to the same quality all the time. Yes, yes. So and it must have been it must have been an amazing environment because clearly everyone was aligned to an objective. Mm. Every you know the fact that you sat in a circle for those meetings. I mean. Uh, it's no wonder it's quite a you know, continuingly successful brand or business. Yes, yeah, absolutely, and it's still obviously still privately owned. Uh, so it, it was it was a great training ground for uh, things that you see things that work well. And the, the, the biggest learning is 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 communication and having processes in place that allow you to uh, set up the essential. Uh, conversations that need to happen. Okay, so we hear a lot about you know learning marketing in these like the Marses of the Mars, uh, Unilever, Procter and Gamble. These are all great places, great training grounds for marketers or, or you know and in business people. But then I also hear from marketers that work in telco in uh, financial services, and they go, yeah, but none of that actually works in this particular category. What do you say to that? I think that they're making a difference out of their business that doesn't necessarily need to uh, exist in that way. The principles of 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 marketing are quite straightforward. How you execute because of different channels or your different um, technology base uh, that will adjust things. But the principles of having a strong brand and making sure you meet the needs and wants of your consumer target base. That's what marketing is really about. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, it, it's all it's very easy to say. Well, that's not relevant to us. Yeah, but in actual fact, the fundamental principles are the same. They are. They are the same, and it's and it's and working around the differences that uh, different uh, different industries require from marketing input and help. When I've been going around doing uh, talks, industry talks in different markets. One of the, the sad conversations I often have is where a marketer will come up to me and say, um, how do I get the CEO to listen to mm. you know, what I'm doing in marketing? And uh, it's quite sad to hear someone say that. And you realize that one of the big problems is that they're so focused on the comm side of marketing and uh, the language they use is closer linked to the advertising industry that they're not using business language in the C-suite. Mm. So therefore, they're not actually joining in the conversation that the rest of the C-suite are having around the business, profitability, EBIT, etc. Well, I did notice early on when you were talking about you know, your role as a marketer at Mars, mm. your language is sprinkled with business terms rather than marketing terms. I don't think you once... Uh, mentioned brand health. It was brand profitability. Mm. You know, it's not uh, 
you know, the tracking studies that a lot of people obsess about uh, is not as important as ultimately the value that's delivered from that on a business sense. Absolutely right. The things like brand health and saliency are essential parts of making sure that you are doing the right things in terms of listening to consumers and aligning your, your brand to be able to deliver against those. So yes, you have all the measures like saliency and so on and, and that, that you would be looking at, but those aren't metrics that are necessarily driving driving the business. Business, yeah. And what was interesting was that you know we talked about um, uh, businesses that are you know listed on on markets and having that that constant pressure of, of short term, yeah, short term reporting to shareholders, yeah. Yeah, um, Mars would you know have its own pressures that it would add because it's it's running a business, mm. and if you want to survive for decades and decades and and keep growing then you also need to have your eye on those things too. It's about, being, it's about responsible business management. Mm. And so within that, you have to have responsible brand management too. I remember one of the projects I was asked to, uh, to look at was um, one of the factories was, uh, had various um, sort of challenges in terms of uh, bottlenecks within it. So I was asked to look at how we can improve the uh, profitability of uh, that factory to be in line with with another factory. Mm-hmm. So you know, what was going on? What was what was causing the challenges? So I had to go go in there. Though I'm the, the marketer, I had to go in with a um, a business hat on, and have a cross functional team that would look at what do we need to do to improve the profitability because overall that's going to benefit the brands in, in the long yeah. term. So what changes can we make that are not brand critical, are not consumer critical? And so, you know, one of the things you find is that, um, you know, it's a, as, as, a, as a business uh, and the, the brand in particular, or brands, they had carried out lots of activities, lots of, um, some of them probably a bit petty in terms of changing colors of this and shapes of that and so on. And it had reduced the efficiency of the, of the plant. So a rationalization of what's of production. Yeah. yeah, what's critical the consumer uh, and what's not yeah and what's peripheral and so by going through that we're able to increase um, the profitability throughput of the, of the plants and we basically turned it around within six months mm. and that's about being common sense about what's important for the brand and what is just a bit of a gimmick well I think it's smart business which is smart marketing, which is smart brand management. Yes, yeah, so it meant that we were actually able to offer better value to the consumer yeah. because with this uh, newfound profitability, we were actually able to reduce prices. So the consumer became very, very happy mm. with this outcome. So more profitable, better deal for the consumer, brand grows. Fantastic. Hey, Julian, I've just noticed the time, but uh, thanks for uh, sitting down and having a chat. Thank you very much, Darren. Enjoyed it. And um, I guess uh, one last question. What is the brand that you would most want to work on if you could choose any brand in the world?